I just really like that song, so I just thought, hey, we've, we've got to figure out how to, how to use that. I mean, it's a hero's theme, right? I, I, I get a little weirded out anytime I use the hero's type theme for anything, though, because it takes me back to seventh grade. Uh, it was one of the very first crushes I ever had on a, uh, on a girl, and, um, and, um, uh, and so I was just really excited about the possibility, and so as any seventh grade boy would do back in those days, I'm not sure exactly how they do it now, nor should we find out in my house, but, um, <clears throat> but I, I remember writing this little note uh, to, to her that said, Will you, w- w- would you like to go together, yes or no? And uh, she said, yes. I'm not sure where I thought we were going because we, neither one of us could drive and we were very dependent on parents who didn't even know that we liked each other. So that, that was a problem. Uh, but she said yes, and uh, we, we, went, we went together for about I, three four days, and uh, it was very meaningful. And then uh, she sent me a note, true story, from one, of, from one of her friends saying that she was breaking up with me and didn't give a reason, and I was really kind of busted up about it. And um, later on, another one of her friends came to me and said, well, the reason why she's broken up to you is because she really likes somebody else. And I was like... Oh, my heart is crushed. And they said, yes, who she really likes is the greatest American hero. Now, I don't know if you remember that show from the late 70s, early 80s, but she actually had a crush on, yes, the greatest American hero. Not a real person. Like, I got dropped for a fictional person. Um, I, I realized, really, it was a wise move on my part to not try to pursue that any longer because a few weeks later, she actually ordered a costume from somewhere and wore it underneath her clothes, they said, uh, to school. And so that, you know, showed me that probably that was not the person for me. But um, it, you know, it only scarred me a little bit. Um, It's helped make me the person I am today. Uh, But when I think of hero, I I can't help but thinking of the greatest American hero and uh, what an awful man that was. Uh, But uh, but hero, uh, it could be argued that hero is one of the most misused and uh, misunderstood words in our culture. Um, it's, uh, it's crazy, isn't it? Because the question comes up, well, is a hero someone willing to, say, risk their life going into a burning building to rescue a person or a dog or whatever? Uh, is that person still considered a hero if they had been told by the firemen, don't go into the building under any conditions? Uh, is a hero a member of our military? Uh, well, well, what if there are those who are really opposed to military action or uh, believe that it should, it's really immoral or unnecessary? Um, a local TV station hails every week a different high school athlete as their hero of the week. Um, is, is a hero really someone who just makes really great grades and excels in a particular sport? Uh, Bonnie Tyler saying, I need a hero to the backdrop of a storyline about a guy who was rebelling because the town needed more rock music and dancing, right? Uh, this week, We'll have all little heroes. Matter of fact, there are places right now in our community where there are little heroes all over the place, right? As Batman and, and, and Superman, and they are saving the day, saving the world, saving us from stockpiles of too much uneaten candy, right? We allow hero status to be placed on sports athletes. You saw up there in the, in the bumper. I mean, you've got, you've got Michael Jordan, and, and he's kind of eclipsed and, and left the scene a little bit, but his shoes are still around, $125, right? Um, Lance Armstrong, I mean, what a hero. I mean, a hero in so many ways. I mean, look at, look at what he stood for. Look at what he accomplished. And then personal life choices stripped the title of hero from him. You've probably even saved a poem or two from maybe your kids or grandkids because they referred to you as a hero. While in uh, 
Siberia, I was introducing my family to the audience of, uh, of, a, of a sermon uh, of, that I was preaching in this church, and uh, I showed this picture up on the screen, and it had four of my kids there, and, uh, and, 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 and everybody was like, oh, it's great, it's great, it's great. I think they were surprised that many blonde-headed kids were all in one picture, because nobody is blonde in Siberia. And then, uh, and then I said, and then we had one more, and she became like the caboose, because she's the end of kids for us, and she's also the tiebreaker. It means there, now there's more estrogen in the house than, you know, and so it's like, and, and I showed her picture up on the the screen, Lindley's picture, and all of a sudden they erupted in like this crazy applause, like they went nuts. And I, it kind of took me back, like, wow, what's going on here? This is kind of weird, you know? And so I just kind of regained my composure and kept on going, you know? And after the service, the pastor's wife came up to me and she said, you probably were wondering what happened there. You need to know that your wife is a hero in Siberia. And I said, really? And they said, yeah. Actually, in 1944, in Russia, they started giving out an award for women who had at least 10 children. It was the Hero, Hero, the Mother Heroine Award. Hero Mother. And, uh, and, and they stopped that award. It, it morphed, it changed, it restarted, it stopped. And within the Russian Federation, it kind of took on different, different ways and everything. Well, in Siberia, if you have at least five children, you are considered a mother hero. So I always knew that Holly was a hero. I didn't know that it had gotten all the way to Siberia. That's kind of cool. Um, but, uh, but, but so, so I mean, a hero can mean all kinds of things, right? Merriam-Webster includes this definition of hero. Mythological or legendary figure often of divine descent who is endowed with great strength or ability. Usually illustrious warriors or adventurers. Her- heroes are often, mis- are often represented as fulfilling a quest Heroes often possess special qualities such as unusual beauty, precocity, and skills in many crafts. Often inclined to boast and boasting and foolhardiness, they defy pain and death to live fully, creating a moment's glory that survives even in the memory of their descendants. Now, when you look at that quotation, when you look at the definition, you think, wow, I mean, like, just about every superhero movie that's been created, we could fit that definition into it right? And as I was looking at that definition and thinking about it, I kind of came up one with one of my own. Uh, I, I, I morphed that definition into something that might take us into what is a spiritual superhero of the faith. And I came up with this, real people seeking the pleasure of the divine and who through their connection to the divine are capable of accomplishing quests that would never have been possible otherwise. They are imperfect but are willing to be used. Courageous, humble, and wise, they struggle through pain, overcome temptations, and face physical death with hope and grace. They live life to the fullest in this world and ultimately achieve eternal life in a new heaven and a new earth. They are driven by an internal motivation of gratitude and a primary goal of giving glory and honor to their creator. Who gets that? Who gets that distinction? Is that just a great definition, but nobody really fits it? Or in our mind, do we just go, oh, well, yeah, well, the people that fit that would be like, you know, the Apostle Paul and Billy Graham and uh, some pastors and missionaries. And, but what about us? You see yourself as a spiritual hero of the faith? Or does that just kind of in your mind appear only here? Do we not realize that we are here? We are in this. Hebrews chapter 7 describes our ultimate faith hero. The one that 
we are called to emulate. We, it's describing him as indestructible. Verse 16, who did not become a priest based on a legal command concerning physical descent, but Jesus, he, he was based on the power of an indestructible life. Paul gives a great reason as to why we should spend time studying these heroes of the faith. Paul reminds us that the only reason why he was even worth following was because he sought to live a life that did what? That imitated Christ. 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, imitate me as I also imitate Christ. Now, let's remember for a minute because it, it, I, think it, I think it's worth repeating again and again as we think through the context of this book that we're in. In Hebrews, the writer was challenging these Jewish readers to stay strong in their faith. To not return to their old ways of thinking and living and relating to God. He told them that their trials and challenges and tribulations would be worth it in the end. And he warned them not to succumb to the temptation of returning to the old way of trying to relate to God. That the old system was really insufficient. That Jesus, in fact, is enough. And in Hebrews 11, we have this hall of faith. We've already looked at several people within this hall. Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham. And tonight we look at a few more heroes of faith. Not because they were perfect or because they were more capable of attaining this status than you or you or you or me. But we call them heroes because they possessed spiritual traits that were used to impact eternity. And we know that these traits are important For heroes to possess because we know that the ultimate hero, Jesus Christ, in fact, possessed these traits. What are some of these traits? Let's take a look at them now. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 20. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph. And he worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, as he was nearing the end of his life, mentioned the exodus of the Israelites and gave instructions concerning his bones. By faith, after Moses was born, he was hidden by his parents for three months because they saw that the child was beautiful and they didn't fear the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Characteristic number one, they, they pass faith on to the next generation. They finish strong, and in doing so, they are passing faith on to the next generation. Did you catch it? Did you see it in the verses? Did you see the blessing being passed on? Did you see this faith being placed into the next generation? And even Isaac and Jacob, certainly, but in Jacob and then on to his grandsons, into Joshua's sons. Joshua uh, gives, uh, in his final words, uh, some thoughts about his resting place. But he also says to them, listen, uh, let's go back one more time, could we? To just remember how good God is. That he was our rescuer. In the the very last moments of Joshua's breath, he's reminding them, listen. Here's who God is. Here's who God is. With Joshua's life and with his words in the very end, here's who God is. I think it's interesting, we, we, we often 
lose a few people in the process. Uh, we, we think of all these heroes of the faith in chapter 11, and we miss a couple that maybe you, you don't think of right away unless you just look at it for what it says. In verse 23, it jumps into the story of Moses, but the focus is not on Moses. The, fo- the focus is on Amram and Jochebed, his parents. What did they do? Well, well certainly they, they trusted Moses to God in, in, the, in the setting him up in the little baby canoe and sending him down the river, right? But, but catch this. Whenever his mom began to wean him, scholars believe that it may very well have lasted in that culture and for a small little baby boy as long as four years And when you consider that period of time that she had in connection with him, you begin to go, wait, this starts to make just a little bit of sense when we see that Moses refused, verse 24, to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Could it be that there were things that were happening in that union that his parents were actually protecting this boy in a relationship of teaching him about God Almighty and who he was so that when he was older, those thoughts would return. Those memories would be there. What was he taught by Jochebed during all those formulative years? Before he was returned for good to the Egyptian princess, what was in his heart and his mind about God? I think passing of the faith occurred there. I think it only makes sense because when you look at the line, you see it moved from Isaac and Jacob and 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 Joseph and his sons and into this moment here with Moses and his parents. Crazy thing is because he actually chose to be identified with the Hebrews. What happens? It becomes a decision that ultimately cost him what? It cost him everything. It cost him everything that he was familiar with. Everything that was easy. Passing on the faith, passing on the blessing, passing on the stories, passing on a life of testimony to what the Lord has done. Your kids and your grandkids, they do need a hero who shows them an active faith. Who lets them in on their faith walk. Um, some of you are, uh, are aware, uh, maybe some of you have come in since this time, but we've been in a constant missional connection relationship with the country of Belize. It's been a couple of years now going on. And uh, on, our very f- on our first trip there, there was only about, uh, I guess, five families. And, um, and um, we were headed back to the airport in a van, and the van flipped. And my daughter, uh, who was uh, 10 at the time, was in the back of the van, uh, the van didn't have seat belts for everybody. Uh, we've, we've since rectified that situation. Uh, but uh, the van flipped, and I looked back, and, 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 uh, and there was just this heap of bodies. And, and, and the blessing in the, in the moment was that nobody was killed. Nobody was seriously injured. There was blood from cuts and scrapes and glass and craziness. And, and, and I remember looking back and seeing Shaylee just standing there in the very back my oldest daughter in the back of the van, and she's just staring, looking at me, and I'm looking at her. Somehow she had like ridden the seat to where she never actually fell down, and she was just kind of standing on what now was not the floor of the van, but the side of the van, and she's just looking at me. And I, I, I revisit 
that moment with her from time to time. Because I, I think that it's important for her and for me to remember where God was in that moment and that we can trust him. And that when we start to fear, we can go back and say, our God is there and he's in the moment and we don't have to fear. I want her to remember where God has shown up in our lives. And I, I want to be able to do a better job of it than on what I do. But I, I want that. I want to pass on a testimony of a dad who isn't perfect, but striving to please God. And who definitely sees this world as one that we're passing through, but not our ultimate destination. Jesus passed faith on in everything he did, right? Uh, John chapter 14 he tells his followers the work is going to continue without his physical presence with them. And as a matter of fact, guys, guess what? It's even going to get better after I leave. What? I mean, you spent all this time getting us to comprehend that you're the son of God and you're going to leave the scene and it's going to get even better? How does that make any sense? Well, this is what he said. Verse 12, I assure you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do. And he will do even greater works than these because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do it so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Can you imagine what kind of confidence his followers would have had in hearing this? I mean, they had seen him fulfill the prophecy of Isaiah, right? They saw him stand there and proclaim those prophetic words for himself when he said, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And catch this, he, they not only watched him proclaim that, announcing prophecy has now been and is being fulfilled, he then brought them in on a mission to where they got to be a part of him doing it. And then he sent them off where he was on the side and he's watching them do just that work. And then he says to them, listen, you're a part of a chain that's going to continue beyond your wildest imaginations. Do you think that we have a Savior who understood passing faith on to the next generation? Hebrews 11, 24 25, by faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter and chose to suffer with the people of God rather than to enjoy the short-lived pleasure of sin. All right, so heroes of faith pass on faith to the next generation, but they also reject what weakens them. And in these verses right here, we see these words, pleasure of sin, and scholars are a bit perplexed at what exactly the writer may have meant there. It might have meant the excesses of the Egyptian culture. It might have been related to just the comfort and ease that would have been there if he would have just ignored what God was calling him to. Maybe pleasure of sin had to do with the choice he would have been making had he stayed, a choice to refused to live in solidarity with the people of God, a choice that would have kept him from following God and his will for his life, a choice that would have sent him into this spiraling action of doing what? Of choosing the short-term benefit rather than the lasting goal. In 20 years of youth ministry, I counseled quite a few students who had chosen the shortcut. 
They were choosing the shortcut to fulfill sexual urges. They were choosing the shortcut to become popular in school or with their friends by living the party scene. They had chosen the shortcut to freedom by attempting to rebel against parents. You know, I mean, you know, it just, it's there. But every shortcut that I walked through with a kid, you know what I always found? That that shortcut created what? It created scars and it created regrets and it created pain and it created missed opportunities for them to see what God would have done had they lived a life of obedience. Maybe you're thinking, you know, honestly, Randy, that's me. Temptation has eaten my lunch. I've pretty much lived the life of one of those 16-year-olds you just talked about. I've not rejected what I know weakens me, and as a matter of fact, I've actually embraced it. Can I give you just a little bit of hope? God's mercies are new every morning. Tomorrow is a brand new day, and you have connected yourself to a church that cares about victory in you. So much so that we offer AA like four times a week here. Some of you may not even realize that. We refer people to quality counselors all the time to get help, to get back up on their feet. We have people on our staff that are so willing to sit down and just help work through some of the issues, some of the, some of the struggles, some of the pitfalls, some of the hang-ups that we, fought, that we find ourselves in. I think whether it's money issues or parent issues or, I mean, you name it. The bottom line is you are not alone and you have entered into a worship experience that's a part of a church that believes that community is a part of the answer. And whether that community is connecting with pastors here and small group leaders and people within your neighborhood or within the area that are doing life stage that's similar with you at this point, it's here and we care. Brett, a former student of mine who would have fit into every one of those categories I just listed. Matter of fact, rebellious, I guess, probably could have been his middle name. He allowed Jesus to rescue him, and he connected with believers who cared enough about him to show him tough love. And today, you can go on Brett's website, and you can see that Brett is giving people in Cambodia food, hope, clean water, Jesus, every single day of his life. I would say it's, it's not too late for us to live lives that resemble heroes of the faith. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. How did Jesus do it? Jesus was led up to the Spirit by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After he fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter approached him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. But he answered, It is written, Man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God, Scripture. And the devil took him to the holy city, had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will give his angels orders concerning you, and they will support you with their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Temptation. Jesus told him, It is also written, Do not test the Lord your God. Scripture. Again, the devil took him to a high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, I will give you all these things if you fall down and worship me. Temptation. And Jesus told him, go away, Satan. For it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. 
scripture. And the devil left him. Immediately angels came and began to serve him. And just as a thought here before we move in to another characteristic, the most powerful tool that we have in our arsenal was exemplified by Jesus right here in this passage. He uses the word of God. Hearers of the faith pass it on. They reject what weakens them. And, verse 26, For he considered the reproach because of the Messiah to be greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, since his attention was on the reward. Number three, they take steps of courage, even if it means immediate personal loss. Moses turned his back on big-time wealth, big-time notoriety, big-time in Egypt like no other. He had big vision. Had Christ been revealed to him? Probably not. We don't know for sure. The author may have simply been painting him into this bigger picture that Moses' obedience would be significant in the big God story. What we do know is that Moses calculated God's reward, which he could not see, to be greater than the reward that was in Egypt, which is what he could see. In a commencement speech at Stanford University, Steve Jobs, founder and CEO of Apple Computers, said these words, Your time is limited, so don't waste it living someone else's life. Don't be trapped by dogma, which is living with the results of other people's thinking. Don't let the noise of others' opinions drown out your inner voice. And most importantly, have the courage to follow your heart and intuition. They somehow already know what you truly want to become, Everything else is secondary. I realize he wasn't speaking from a Christian perspective. I get that. But I think his thoughts about risk are spot on here. Because the question becomes, will we follow that inner voice, otherwise known to the Christ follower as the Holy Spirit? Will we courageously take that step, regardless of what it might cost? I mean, let's paint a bigger picture here. There are more martyrs right now in this century than all previous centuries combined. 200 million Christians across the world suffer from some part of persecution of the faith right now. 480 Christians will die this year. 20 of them will die before this service is over. Not because they live in war-torn countries or because their brothers and sisters don't have enough food or because believers are facing natural disasters or because... No, none of that. It's because Christians are being raped and beaten and beheaded and cut down because of what they believe. And the Christian church has pretty much just ignored what's going on. We turn our head and almost just act like it's not even happening. Because you know what? It's happening in poor places that just don't get reported on the news that much. And it just gets so confusing. I mean, what is a Coptic Christian anyway? And yet these people in 60 countries worldwide are being killed simply because they follow Christ. And I would say, when I look at that comparatively... My loss pales in comparison. So maybe we could just gain a little more courage, right? Maybe you and I could just gain a little bit more courage for the gospel and how we give and what we say and how we live 
I mean, it's the time of year for compassion, right? We're entering into the next two months of just hearts wide open to give. How will it go down for you? I, 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 don't, I don't know. I, I would like to be more courageous. I know this, I know how it went down for Jesus. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, the source and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that lay before him endured a cross and despised the shame and has sat down at the right hand of God's throne. Last two, quickly. Verse 27, by faith he left Egypt behind, not being afraid of the king's anger. For Moses persevered as one who sees him who is invisible, by faith he instituted the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch the Israelites. Okay, why does the writer put this in? Here's what I believe. I believe that it was important for us to get that in Moses' life, yes, we see that he was passing the faith on. We see that he was steering clear of what weakened him. We, we, can, see that, we can see that he was taking steps of courage. You know what? I also think that he was holding on to the promises of God. Kill the lamb, Moses. Smear the blood, Moses. Protection is going to come. And you know what? Moses obeyed and was able to watch the promise become realized. You think there was just a tad bit of tension that night? Even though he obeyed, even though the blood was there, can you just imagine the tension that was in every one of those homes? I think it was kind of like the night in the garden. Verse 39, going a little farther, he fell face down and prayed, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he asked Peter, So couldn't you stay awake with me one hour? Stay awake and pray so that you won't enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, a second time he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. The tension. And yet the obedience to the promise of God. We talked about these promises of God several months ago. Things like our reconciliation to him, the forgiveness of sin, help with burdens, comfort in despair, rest for our soul, escape from temptation, wisdom for challenges, answers to prayer, provisions for needs that Ah, they just go on. The promises go on and on and on and on and on. And the hero seeks these promises as if they are treasures and stakes life itself on them. Heroes of the faith pass it on. They steer clear of what weakens them. They take steps of courage, regardless of what that might mean. They hold on to the promises of God. And finally, they are empowered by God to do the impossible. So, I mean, here, here we are, you know, right? Among friends. How, how, are, how are we doing here in our spiritual journey? Um, did you consider yourself this week a hero of the faith? I, it's not too late to become that. Because just like that clip mentioned, the reason why Moses was that was because God is with him. So maybe you walked in thinking there's something impossible that I really don't know how this is going to work out. I don't, I don't know 
how the end is going. It, humanly, I can't make this get fixed. And God says, ha, you're in the right place for me to show up. I do impossible well. Maybe you would just say, you know, Randy, what, what, what I hear tonight is passing this legacy on of faith is so important. And I need to sit down and seriously take a look of how that's happening in my life. I need some courage in this particular area. Hey, you look at all the different characteristics we covered. My guess is at some point, God said, that's it. That's the one. I think the beauty of the end here and the last characteristic that we see in this hall of faith about Moses is that it also parallels quite nicely to Jesus' life. Because the impossible happened. He rose again. So tonight, we start, we end with where we started. The question, why did God bring us here? What did he want to say? I'm going to invite you to talk to him for a minute as I do. God, we're listening. We're praying. And God, and God really, we want to be obedient because I'm, I'm thinking back at that last clip. And if, if, at, if at any point in that transaction, Moses would have been disobedient to you. The people would have said, no, we're not going. No, we're not following. The end would have been very, very different. God, they would, they would have missed out on your miraculous deliverance. And so, God, we don't want to miss out on the rescue and we know you've invited us along for the ride in this amazing rescue of a planet that desperately needs you. So God, we're listening. We know we're chains in the link of faith. We know that there's a younger generation that needs us to be faithful. Many of them are just on the other side of the doors right over there. And so, God, we're, we're listening and we're ready to take steps of obedience because we don't want to miss it. We don't want to miss you. We don't want to miss what you're up to. God of impossible things, we worship you. In these final few moments of our worship, solidify those thoughts. Speak to our hearts. We're listening, God.